Welcome to my Soul Life Podcast. This is my playground and I'm your host, Susan Scollin. I believe that we can live a life we love every day. To do this, we have to go on a journey to uncover who we are on every layer. Join me each Monday for conversations about following our soul's calling and embodying what lights us up so we can become even more amazing people. And then later in the week, I'll be back with our Soul Life Conversations, where we open up and explore who we truly are to become authentically us. Be inspired. A quick reminder for you that all the information shared in this podcast is my experience and the experience of my guest. It's not medical or mental health advice, diagnosis or treatment, and I'd encourage you to seek professional advice where needed. Today I'm chatting with Heather Ross. Heather is such an incredible woman and mum, and you're going to be blown away by her story and her journey. I know I am. Heather is a mother who was willing to do whatever it took to have a relationship with her daughter who struggled with addiction. Whatever it took turned out to be a gift for her. Supporting her daughter taught her to focus on their similarities instead of their differences be present as a mother and love her daughter unconditionally for the 21 short years she had on this earth. After her daughter lost her life to fentanyl poisoning in 2021, Heather became even more dedicated to helping families heal. Her clients call her an expert at teaching them how to create peace of mind, space for change and loving connection in their families. In addition to being a parent support coach, Heather has over 20 years of experience in the recovery community, hosts the Living with Addiction podcast, and is a CRAFT, C-R-A-F-T, practitioner. When Heather's not helping other parents, she enjoys travel, spending time in nature with her dogs, going to sound baths on the beach, and having experiences with friends and family that create beautiful memories. For me, and I imagine you, this is a heart-wrenching story, one of the greatest fears any parent can have. We would save our children from everything if we can, but we have to let them go on their journey and love them right where they're at. Heather is a beautiful, so beautiful example of this, and she's transforming lives and families with what she's learnt on her journey with her gorgeous daughter. Now, remember that we're talking about the loss of a child in this episode. We also talk about how coming from a place of love is the best way to heal and having a relationship with those we love, especially ourselves. There's a lot in this episode, but if losing a child could be too upsetting, please turn off the episode now or at any time when you're listening and seek professional support if required. I can't promise you that you won't make it to the end of this episode without tears or without feeling grateful for the life you have. But if you do make it to the end and would be open to sharing us what you took away from this episode, come and share your thoughts. Heather and I would love to hear what you learned or what you took away. So head over to my website, susanscollin.com or Instagram, my.soul.life.podcast and tell us everything. Tell us what you took away. And you can reach out to Heather via the show notes for this episode on my website too. See you inside. Welcome, Heather. It's great to be here with you. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Thanks for having me here. I love to ask everybody what's bringing them the most joy. So what's bringing you the most joy at the moment? That is a really great question. Um, My dog... She is a Chewini and she just is so silly. And every time, pretty much everything she does makes me laugh. But when she gets running really fast and kicks up dust and she like curls up her little tail and runs in circles and makes little growly noises while she runs, that just always makes me happy. So that gives me a lot of joy. Just the simple things. (laughs) She sounds really cool. She is. What's a Chewini? She, it's a combination of a chihuahua and a dachshund. So she's got the long dachshund body, but everything else on her looks like a chihuahua. Oh, so cute. So she's, <laughs> and she's a little pocket rocket. She's a little Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, gorgeous. I've never heard <laughs> that. I love it. Pocket rocket. <laughs> <laughs> Puppies bring so much joy. Or little dogs bring, any dog brings so much joy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they do. I have two other labs and they're like wonderful as well, but 
she's always with me. So um, I get to spend the most time with her. The other dogs are more interested in what my sister's doing outside. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. That's good. All right. Well, can you take us on your journey, take us back and and share with us, you know, what was going on for you and, and what's brought you to where you are now, effectively? So the main catalyst in my, you know, for me to start healing and changing myself or even realizing that there were things about me that really needed to be changed was when my daughter started struggling with addiction. So um, she started using substances when she was around 12, but I didn't know until she was 14. And at that time, she was a freshman in high school. And that's when I started dreading seeing the high school's phone number come up on my phone, when normally she was just this straight-A student. She was a competitive cheerleader, just this all-around wonderful kid. And not that she wasn't a wonderful kid anymore because she was abusing substances, but um, she really started to struggle and things got really hard. And her addiction was like a spotlight on all of the things that I needed to change, all of the unhealthy coping mechanisms I had, all of my own personal wounds and trauma. I say it's like... um, you know how sometimes you have a bruise, but you don't even realize that it's there. But then if something hits that bruise, then you're like, oh, okay, that's a little bit painful. And that's kind of what it's like with addiction, except it's just this constant poking of that bruise really hard. And it's it's very painful. And a lot of times, um, like I did initially, I blamed all of that pain on my daughter and just her addiction. And that was what needed to be fixed, not me. And so it was several really rough years before I came to the realization that, okay, there's changes that I need to make here in myself. And I need to give my daughter the space and dignity to make changes as she chooses instead of me trying to force them on her because I need her to be better so that I can be okay. Mm. That's a huge revelation to realize that it's your your struggles that need to be healed and then she can go on her journey but you've got these things that you need to work on. So congratulations to you because that's that's massive, massive. I always yeah. say that, you know, our children are a reflection of us and it's, it's you know, like if a child is stressed, often that stress can come from us and we may not even know it's there. Like you said, it's a bruise that just keeps, um, like it's just there until somebody touches it and then you're like, oh, it is actually me as well. So mm-hmm. how do you move through that? Well, for me... I started, I mean, I was going to counseling and um, I was just going one hour a week. I wasn't doing anything that she was telling me to do. I was just thinking like everything was magically going to get better if I just went to counseling one hour a week. And then I found coaching and I started really like working on myself every single day and um, realizing that I I got a lot of how I felt about myself from my daughter and a lot of other things outside of me, like being successful in my job, instead of just creating my own sense of worthiness, that I was just worthy as I was, right? It really affected how I felt about myself that my daughter was struggling. I was making her struggle about me, like there must be something wrong with me as a mom because my daughter's going through this hard time instead of the science of addiction that even if I wasn't the perfect mom, like every person processes experiences differently. So another child could have had the exact same life as my daughter and and not turn to using substances And that doesn't make that person better or worse. It just makes them different. Mm -hmm. And I had to 
learn that about myself too, that really start to see my similarities with my daughter instead of my, the differences. Cause that's what I got really focused on was how different we were. And when I was focused on how different we were, I was really judging her. And when I started looking back through my own life and how different experiences in my childhood and as, you know, as an adult had shaped who I was as a mom and that I could see a lot of myself in my daughter. It was just that I handled things very differently than her. Like my, the things that I did were just, were more socially acceptable, but still unhealthy. Like when I didn't know what to do to help my daughter, I just worked 60 hours a week. So the overworking, um, you know, whatever it took to be numb and not have to experience the pain of not being able to help my daughter and the helplessness of that as well. And my daughter, she just wanted to be numb too. We were just using different things to get there. And so when I started seeing that similarity, it brought a lot of healing in our relationship and it took some of the pressure off of both of us and gave me time to really just look in myself and work on being happy on my own without expecting another person, place, or thing to create my happiness for me. Yeah. Wow. That's that's a huge amount of work to be able to move yourself from a position where your worthiness was attached to another person to not being attached and still being knowing that you're enough. Like it's not a not a quick fix sort of thing to get yourself to there. So that's, you know, amazing. Yeah, it was definitely years of work. I'm still working on that. <laughs> you know, it's something I think that it's, I don't think that you ever arrive at a place where you're just healed. It's a lifelong journey and process of, it's like the more I heal and the more I learn, the more I realize I've come so far. But then there's also like, yeah, I still have a ways to go to. There's always more. Yeah, there's always more levels, isn't there? And it's yeah. that ebb and flow and some days, you know, for me, I find when I'm more tired, those things sort of come in a little bit more. But when I'm sort of, when I'm on top of my game and everything's flowing okay, then I don't worry about it so much. So it's it's just riding that wave. Is that yeah. how you experience it? Yeah. And that was a really important thing that I learned too, was taking care of myself because I was so focused on my daughter that I... And just so stressed about everything, I wasn't taking care of the basics. I wasn't moving my body and exercising. I wasn't drinking enough water. I couldn't sleep at night. I was just so stressed that it was making me sick. My health was really suffering because I was so focused on fixing her that I wasn't taking care of myself. And now, pretty much no matter what is going on in my life, my sleep is a huge priority because I know that as long as I get a good night's sleep, I can pretty much handle anything that happens during the day. And yeah. so, and even if I just get outside and move my body for a little bit, you know, a little bit that day, making sure I drink water. Like I always go back to the basics when times get really tough, like reminding myself, like, have you drank enough water today? Have you done like self-care is just, it's so important. Mm-hmm. And how did you realize that you weren't getting those things and that you needed them? When did that start kick in for you? That was during that same time of with things really, my realization that I needed to change in all of the ways that we've talked about was I started getting really sick. Um, it was in the middle of dealing with my daughter's addiction. She was still at home. She was a teenager. And in dealing with that, she was dealing with mental health issues and an eating disorder and cutting. And I just felt like I was playing this game of whack-a-mole. Like every time I would address one issue, another one would pop up. And I nothing that I was doing was helping her. And so I was just getting sick all of the time. I started getting sick more and more often. My hair was falling out. I felt horrible all of the time. I was itchy, like anything that you can imagine. Somebody who's really stressed out. I was just having all of these different symptoms. 
And I ended up getting, like I got bronchitis and I could not get rid of it. I'd like take a few days off work and feel a little bit better. And I'd go back to work and I would just get sick again and have to take more time off. And I ended up with pneumonia and I just, honestly, I was laying there in bed one day and I thought like my dad died at 47 from a heart attack because he did not take care of himself. And I was laying in bed thinking, you know, I was in my mid forties at the time. And I was like, if I don't take care of myself, I'm going to end up just like my dad. Mm. And that was a pivotal pivotal moment for me as well in realizing like my body needs attention and it's got to come from me. Like nobody else is going to do this for me. And I've really got to have my own back here and take care of myself. And I'm not going to be able to help and support my daughter if I'm not taking care of myself And on top of that, I'm pushing her to take care of herself Mm -hmm. and work through what's bothering her. I need to be an example of that. And before I could really do it for myself, I was doing it for her. I just wanted to be an example for her. But along the way, something kicked in and I realized, oh, I need to be doing this for myself. And that's when a lot of changes happened for me too. Yeah. Incredible. That's amazing. And what were some of those changes that started to happen for you? I was really focusing on what made me happy that didn't come from being a mom or a senior controller or a wife. Like, what made Heather happy? And just spending time with my friends. And we would always talk about how wonderful it was to be together because we didn't have to be anything but ourselves when we were together. Mm -hmm. And like, trying a lot of different things out to see what I liked. Like I wanted to learn to paint. So I'd watch YouTube videos and learn to paint and getting hobbies. Like I started getting into energy healing and sound baths and crystals and things that I never took the time to investigate before, but like my own interests, all of my interests were things that people I loved, loved to do Mm. before that. And then I started developing interests that I love to do and that I was doing just for me because they made me feel good. Mm. And that's a huge transformation in itself, just taking yourself from what doing things that other people love to do and now working on what do I love to do? What brings me joy? And doing those things on the regular, um, then, you know, becoming more you effectively and giving you that permission to become more you too. In amongst everything that was going on, yeah. Absolutely. And before that, I probably (laughs) would have said that I loved doing those things too, but what Mm -hmm. I loved was that they made the people I loved happy. Yeah. And really that separation of, like, what I need to do in life just for me and that that's really an important part of me feeling fulfilled in my own life. Yeah. And how did you doing the work on yourself and finding the things that you love support your relationship with your daughter? It made all the difference in the world because um, around the time when she was 18, she ended up moving out. And at that time, honestly, she hated me. Our relationship was awful. And um, I felt like there were times I thought I'm never going to be able to repair our relationship. It felt helpless and hopeless. But I, around the time I started really focusing on myself and taking that microscope off of her, she started noticing the differences in me. And she would tell me that she was proud of me. So here my daughter is, by this time she's addicted to heroin and meth, but yet she can see these differences in me. Mm -hmm. And I started feeling more and listening to what was important to me, like, and the kind of mom that I wanted to be and how I wanted to show up in support of her. And I started learning some other skills from coaching and something called craft. It's community reinforcement and family training. It's a way of supporting people who are struggling with an addiction. And I started learning these tools and really focusing on loving my daughter unconditionally and accepting her just as she was, like not trying to wanting her to be who she was before or who I hope she could be in the future, but being 
present in the moment with her and just really loving her exactly as she was. Even if she was high, it didn't matter. I just wanted to have a relationship with my daughter and like how I showed up as her mother. And that made a huge difference in our relationship. And we got really, really close. She, We built the trust again. We had a friendship. And she knew that she could turn to me for help. She opened up and started telling me everything. We really had like the relationship that I always wanted to have with her. And what's shocking to me was that, not anymore, but at the time it was shocking that we did that in the middle of her active addiction. Like she did not have to be sober for that healing to take place. And I think that a lot of people feel that way. But when you show up with genuine love and support and compassion for somebody who's struggling, they can really feel that. And I was letting her journey be about her and my journey be about me and creating that separateness. And um, within a year of doing that, she started, throughout that year, she really started making changes, like trying different things to try to get sober, um, but at the same time, like also getting the, I think, the courage that she needed to go to the level of commitment and work that it would take for her to get sober over that next year. But she just responded so quickly to it. It was pretty amazing to how important it is to have the right tools to support somebody who's struggling with addiction too. So it really, it saved our relationship. And I, you know, I finally felt like a good mom, even in that situation, like, that fulfillment of having a good relationship with her as good as was possible in that situation. Yeah. But you doing the work on yourself, turning up as who you wanted to be and as a mom that you wanted to be, then gave her permission to just be herself in amongst everything else. Yeah. Without, like you said, I wasn't projecting back and saying, this is what you used to be like. Why aren't you like that? And I'm not projecting forward and saying, this is what I hope you could have and what life could look like. I'm just going to love you right now. That's, yeah. That's huge. It is. And that's very, I think, she really needed that at that time. And I needed it. I needed, we needed each other. Like mm. we were talking about it one time and she said, if we could have just seen our similarities instead of our differences sooner, things might not have gotten as far as they did. Yeah. And and I have to agree with her that that's highly possible. And, um, but that's just the journey that we both went on. Yeah. And I'm so grateful today that I did that work and created the relationship that with her that I did because, um, last year, you know, when she was 21, she had been sober mostly for like 18 months. And, um, some things happened that really caused her to start to struggle and she ended up using again and she was sold fentanyl that um, she ended up getting um, fentanyl poisoning and died. She had like four times the lethal amount of fentanyl in her system when she died. Um, And which is just the, it's unbelievable even to say that still it's been almost nine months now, but what I always go back to is I was really there for her and I um, am still proud of the way I showed up. I wish I had learned these things sooner. I wish that I could have had the skills that I do today when she was 14 and I first found out and I could have supported her Um, that way sooner. But I am just so grateful that I took the time to deal with all of my traumas and be able to be there and have that relationship with her. Because the other part of that too is grieving the loss of a child is, is just so painful and intense. And I can't imagine if I hadn't already worked through a lot of those traumatic experiences. And that, because that's the thing. So her, the, the, her addiction was the catalyst to all this healing that I needed to do. And had I not done that healing then, 
I would be trying to do that healing now or I would just be drowning in it. And so at least one, I'm able to cleanly grieve the loss of my daughter and have it just be my sadness for the loss of her. Mm-hmm. And also I don't spend all this time traumatizing myself by and beating myself up because I can go back to how hard I worked to learn about addiction and learn the best way to support her the way that she needed me to support her. Initially, I was supporting her the way that was easy for me to support her. I had to learn the way that she needed me to support her. And I was able to do that. And that to me is really important in this situation too. You never know how things are going to turn out. And I'm using those same skills to help myself grieve now as well. It's just been something that has served me through this whole process. And I don't have to live with regrets. When my daughter told me that she relapsed um, the day before she died, our last conversation was very loving and supportive. And I told her that, that that, you know, that just because she relapsed, it didn't define her. It didn't take away all the amazing things that she had done over the previous 18 months and that I loved her and was proud of her no matter what and that I supported her. And um, when we got off that call, I think it's important to say that fear kicked in and I got angry and I started wondering, did she do this? Did she do that? And I wrote about it. And I did an unintentional model, an intentional model, and I just let all all my anger. And then I got really intentional about how I wanted to show up. And then I ended up sending her a message, which ended up being the last message she ever got from me. Again, telling her how much I loved and supported her. Hmm. Had I not had the skills to realized that the way that I was feeling wasn't real and it wasn't her fault. Well, it was real, but it wasn't her fault. I didn't have to call her or text her and blame her or shame her or say any of those things that were propelled by fear and pain. And, you know, I didn't have to blame her for any of those things. What what it came down to was I love my daughter and I didn't want to see her struggling and that was hard for me and I didn't want to lose her. And when I say lose her at the time, I was thinking I didn't want to lose her into her addiction. Again, I wasn't worrying that she was going to die. And um, because we did have a conversation about how she had used and about not, and I felt a false sense of security because she told me that she had snorted what she thought was heroin instead of injecting it, which is a huge harm reduction and we talked about how her tolerance was low. I felt like I had covered all of my bases. Fentanyl was not even on my radar at the time. Mm. And I'm just really grateful that that last encounter with her wasn't my anger and my fear. It was my love. Yeah. And that's some a gift that all of that, that's the payoff for all of those years of hard work is that I don't have to live with having a horrible last encounter with my daughter. Thank you for sharing all of that and thank you for sharing both sides of it because it's not an easy process, wouldn't be an easy process to go through, even though you've done all the work, still to have your daughter pass away. And I'm very sorry that you you lost her as well. It's getting quite teary. You. The, you just talked then about there are different approaches that you can take towards you could have taken towards your daughter. One is through fear and pain, and perhaps that was an approach you took for a while and then you transferred it into love. Why do we go through that fear and pain space? Why why do we stay there? Some of it is just, you know, we're human. It's the natural response to all of the things that could possibly go wrong. Part of it is the stigma of addiction. You know, a lot of the things that we hear are based on stigma and not science, although they're shared as facts. Mm -hmm. And uh, that really 
affected me initially. I, I didn't take the, I thought I understood addiction. I thought I knew the science of it, but a lot of what I knew was stigma and it wasn't factual. And it is, um, and that has a huge impact on how we approach it. Like when it seems like that, that it's a choice, that it's a moral failing or, you know, that somebody's weak willed or that they are doing it to hurt people or that they're, you know, that it is about a person being in a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. But I didn't see it that way. I didn't understand that initially that my daughter was in pain and that whatever substance she used stopped that pain or at least numbed it momentarily. Like, what I've learned now is behaviors make sense. Like it is a really easy, fast solution to a lot of problems to use a substance. But to me before, it didn't make any sense. It was maddening to me. I couldn't understand if she just would stop using, everything would be okay. So it's not understanding, not being educated. The And I, I don't mean that in a judgmental way because I wasn't educated either. And the things, the stigmas that we hear, it does seem like education sometimes because a lot of the people telling me those things were experts, like mm-hmm. were doctors, psychiatrists, psychologists, counselors telling me that she just needed more discipline to ground her, to do all of these things like to try to control it and using terms like she's, you know, she's just got to hit rock bottom telling me that there was nothing else that I could do. And when none of that was true, there were things that I could do. There's evidence-based approaches, things that do work, ways to support somebody. And so, and just that sense of helplessness, right? That brings out the not the best side of our personality as well. Of course, when you're, it was the first time I'd ever come up against something that I couldn't help my daughter with. Mm. And it was very overwhelming. <laughs> and so all of those things combined in the fear, it's, it's not surprising that so many family members respond similarly to the way that I did and they don't feel good about it, but they don't know what else to do. And so they keep keep trying to change how they're responding, but without an effective way to respond differently, it's really hard to change. Yeah. Yeah, and you mentioned before, just like it's that root cause. It's really easy to numb out on life, and whether for you it was working 60 hours a week, for her it was a drug. So finding what that root cause, because it's not just easy enough to just take it away, just stop doing it. Well, she's doing it for a reason, but find, like, go deeper. And maybe you can heal that and maybe you can't, but it's still got to be about her journey. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, like I got her um, journal after she died and one of the things that she wrote about was just how important it was for her to really learn to love herself and that she was learning to do that. And she had experienced things in her life that were traumatic, but I didn't really understand trauma at that time. I only associated it with like the really big traumas, like what somebody would experience in a war or serious abuse or something like that. I wasn't thinking about how her dad and I getting divorced, being traumatic, or us moving to another town that was like two hours away from friends and family being traumatic and all these little things adding up that she, as a young child, didn't have the skills to deal with. And she also was really good at just being, not really saying how she felt a lot of times, being the good little girl, holding it all in, not saying, you know, that she was really struggling. So, yeah, I just did not understand all of these things that had happened. Mm-hmm. And some bigger trauma that she experienced in high school that she didn't feel comfortable disclosing until later, of course, because all of these people that we're going to are focused on the substance. And like you said, now nobody was talking to me about root cause, like what's underneath all of this. It was this behavior is a problem and it needs to stop, not 
this behavior is an answer. What is it answering? Yeah. Yeah. And not to say that it would have changed any of the outcome and her journey is her journey, but it would have been perhaps nice early on to have those sorts of conversations if she was open to it. But again, you still have to do the work on yourself so that she could see that you were growing and she could then grow as well. So, yeah, creating that connectedness through that growth that you had. Yeah, it is very hard for me not to think things wouldn't be different today had we had solutions that worked sooner. You know, I mean, there's definitely some things would have different. She, as a young girl, didn't really get to live her life. She lived in, like, she was imprisoned by her addiction, you know, from such a young age. And I didn't get to really experience the mother-daughter relationship that I wanted until, you know, like when she was sober and more available for a relationship, it was so like, I was on cloud nine. It was wonderful and amazing to just have that relationship with her without um, there being that heaviness of watching her struggle so much she was still struggling not like it was just suddenly easy Mm. but I was getting to watch her get a job and be proud of herself and feel good about herself and love herself and making you know getting to watch her make progress and experience like going to the beach things that you don't do when you're on heroin you're just seeking drugs all of the time it's 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 a horrible way to live and her and I missed out on all of those years because of that. And that would be heartbreaking to have missed out on those things. Even, you know, the fact that you got to experience some of them with her and some of those firsts that she should have, well, you believe potentially, or I would believe that she could have had those earlier, but because of the drug addiction and the constant searching for drugs, that that limited her life from what it could actually be. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't even have... The simple things like she just was making friends again. So I don't have people that I can talk to that were her friends that I can remember her with. And I don't have that many pictures of her or videos because you aren't taking selfies and making videos, (laughs) you know, when you're struggling with an addiction to the degree that she was. She barely could keep a phone for a week without losing it. And so, and of course the phone that she had was never very expensive because she knew. And those are the things that I think of now, like I hardly have any videos or pictures. And because of that, like there's, it just has so many more effects on somebody's life than you can possibly imagine or, you know, like I'm still taking it all in even over these last few months of not having that in my life anymore. Yeah. Of course, I don't give anything to have it back, but it's just like I'm still absorbing everything that's happened. Mm. It's too much to digest at once. Totally. So allowing yourself that space and that time to digest it, to grieve grieve her loss which could be a lifelong journey I imagine as especially as a parent um and just yeah just being aware that it's there that it's going to be there that open wound will potentially be there with you for life and that's okay yeah yeah I give myself a lot of time to grieve and I also create joyful experiences in my life like I it's important to me that I um, choose to live every day, mm. that I experience the, 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 the deep pain in the loss, but I also allow myself to experience love and joy when it's there. I don't try to force it, but when it's there, you know, I went on an amazing trip with my friends and took her some of her ashes and, um, you know, was spent a lot of time outside for a week. And it was just such an amazing experience that other, a lot of moms were like, I can't believe that you're doing this. Like it hasn't even been a year yet. And I'm like, I have to get out and live and create things to live for. That's what I had to do before. It's what I have to do now. Yeah. Yeah. And you talked earlier about what's socially acceptable. So can you dive into that? Like the fact that you were, 
numbing by working 60 hours a week. She was numbing by using drugs. There is that stigma, I guess, around what's socially acceptable and what's not socially acceptable, yet we're all in pain in some way and we're all looking for for love and support and whether we look for that outside of ourselves, which I think majority of us do until we realise that we've got to come back into ourselves and and build that self-belief and self-trust and self-love within ourselves before we can do anything out there. So can you just talk to that? socially acceptable component and how much of a stigma that is, especially around drug addiction? Yeah, and I'd like to use the example of also like even other diseases or illnesses, right? Like I had breast cancer last year and one in eight women get breast cancer and it's probably a combination of my lifestyle choices, maybe some genetics, some environmental influences, But that, and it's the same thing when it comes to addiction, but we don't think about that because we think it's a person's choice. Mm. And, but the thing is, another person could have had all the same life experiences I did, but that person didn't get breast cancer. But we don't judge me because I got it and the other person didn't. We don't think about the choices that I might have made that led to that in my life. But when somebody's struggling with addiction, we don't think about how two people, a lot of people use substances and it's just easy for them to say no, right? Like if I was to experience something that I knew like, oh, this, like I should never do this again. That's what my brain says. Like if I was to try a substance and I felt like, wow, that was amazing. I I would just be like, I should never do that again. But other people, their brain's like, wow, I have really got to do that again. (laughs) That doesn't mean that they're better or worse. They're just different. It's the same thing. Like we don't think about people who have heart disease or, you know, somebody who's diabetic, whatever it is. Like we don't judge any of those things that lifestyle choices could have been a factor in. But we totally judge it with addiction because of the stigma surrounding it. And I think that it's really important to look at that. Like one of the police officers um, that was there and found my daughter in the hotel room and called me to tell me that she had died also told me how, and I don't like this word, the word addict, but it was his word that um, addicts are clogging the medical system and keeping people who have heart attacks from getting the care that they need. And I said, well, like, why is that person's life so much more valuable? Like their, their heart attack could have been, I'm not saying it always is, but could have been, you know, somebody even just living a really stressed out lifestyle or sedentary or overeating or whatever it is. And we don't even think about choices when it comes to that. But we reduce it all to choice. Like we take such a complex human issue and we reduce it to one thing and choice. And we have all this stigma around it. And and you just can't. We have to look at it on a much larger um, scale that you can't reduce a human condition to one thing. It's very complex, just like any other disease, just like any other coping skill that there's just so much judgment (laughs) involved when it comes to addiction, but nobody, you know, like people would look up to me for working as much as I did because I was always, you know, I had a good career and I was making good money, but, and nobody's ever going to say, well, there's something wrong with you for working 60 hours a week. They're only going to applaud me because it makes me look successful right? But it's very unhealthy to work that many hours a week. My health was suffering and I was using it as a way to avoid what was actually happening in my life. And it was keeping me from creating fulfillment in my life. Mm -hmm. It was the same thing. I was just trying not to feel. It was keeping me from learning how to have, like, feel my actual feelings. And it's just, so it's really down to the stigma and judgment. Like we really have to look at things like we can't reduce complex human behaviors down to choice. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And 
like looking outside of ourselves or looking at somebody and going, oh, well, they're, you know, for the for the addiction, like all they need to do is give it up, like in inverted commas, um, whereas they don't tend to, we don't tend to do that with somebody who's working or somebody who's eating fried food every single day because we tell ourselves a story that maybe that's okay to do that. And for some people it might be okay to do that. But for some people it might then lead to a heart condition or a stroke or, or another condition, um, but we don't tend to associate the two. But yet we put a label on the people with addiction or people who make choices even perhaps around alcohol where they drink a lot more than perhaps is socially acceptable, again in inverted commas, um, and, yeah, we label them and therefore it's it's this good and bad as opposed to just letting everybody go on their own journey and be who they want to be and be, you know, having the experience that they want to have on a daily basis and just loving them, like you said earlier, just loving them where they're at. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with drinking, you know, it's always so surprising if you say that you don't want to have a drink and everybody else is. Like it's so, or all of the commercials, all of the things like mommy needs a drink, you know, to relax. Like it's (laughs) sending such a bad message. But it's okay because it's a glass of wine, you know, it's, it, it, it just, it's amazing to me. <laughs> and there's so many health benefits, which they can be. Right. But, <laughs> uh, well, you've given us so much information today. Is there, before we get into the wrap-up questions, is there anything that you would like to add in? Anything else that you haven't shared? I think that we really have um, covered a lot. <laughs> mm. It's been very um, deep, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just think that, again, just focusing on your similarities with people instead of your differences. And if you do know somebody who's struggling with addiction, or even if you don't, because chances are you're going to come across somebody in your life somewhere, then um, make sure, question yourself, what your beliefs are. Are they based on stigma or science? And maybe see if there's a different way that you could look at things. Mm. And know that you can do that, like you said, in the middle of the challenge. So you don't have to wait for them to be in recovery for you to get help or get better or to treat them differently. You can actually do that when they're going through their own journey. Absolutely. And you can help. You hear that a lot. There's nothing you can do, but that's that's actually not true. There's evidence-based approaches to helping and supporting somebody and creating space that makes it easy for them to want to change. Yeah, beautiful. All right. So I'm a massive believer in, self, in self-love. It's been part of my journey and sounds like it's been part of your journey as well. Can you share with us what's one thing that you do for self-love? Um, yeah, I go to sound baths on the beach and it, it's an investment in time because it's an hour and a half drive for me to get there. But I try to go at least once a month. I mean, it's three hours round trip, but I feel so amazing when I get done. It's such a wonderful experience and I feel so renewed by it. And it's, yeah, it's to me, like, that's what I'm putting into the amount of time that I'm going there. And like, I'm doing this because I love myself and uh, I deserve this time. Yeah. Beautiful. And yeah, thank you for sharing that. Cause sometimes we can get caught up in that. It's going to take too much time to get there or create that. So I'm not going to go, but you know, taking that time is so energizing and, you know, setting a boundary around, I can do it once a month, may not be able to do it every week, but I can do it once a month and I can bring that in. And sound baths are so beautiful and healing for the body as well. Yeah, they are. Mm. I always feel like I leave all or most of my problems on the beach when I get up and leave there. Yeah, that's cool. And you've provided so much information today. If myself and the listeners were to take one thing out of today and implement it in our own life in service of you, what would that be? Definitely learning about the science of addiction instead of stigma and how you thinking about how you treat people. Um, Really just having a little bit more kindness and compassion and respect for people who are struggling instead of judgment. Mm, Beautiful. And how can people find you and come and have a conversation with you or work with you? And what is the work that you're doing in the world? Can you share that with us? 
Yeah. So I'm a coach for parents that have a child struggling with addiction. I have a podcast called Living with Addiction and I'm at Heather Ross Coaching on social media. So um, I work with parents one-on-one to help them support themselves and support their children. Beautiful. And can you just quickly just give us some of the, like, the transformations that people see? What are some of, like, not specifics, but what do they get out of that? What, how do they change? The biggest thing is really taking the pressure off of their kids and focusing on themselves. I've had um, a few times where I've actually got to meet people's children that, you know, I worked with their parents and they told me that they could tell the difference after their parents started working with me mm-hmm. and the way that their relationship changed, that they had that love and respect in their relationship again. And there was that tension was gone and just being able to like support their kids, like, changing communication, changing behavior skills. But the biggest thing is the connection that's created and the healing for the parents and their kids. Like it is family recovery and it's a collaborative approach. So those are some of the things that my clients and and their kids have experienced. Their their kids can tell (laughs) that they have made a change. They can see the difference. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, thank you so much for the work that you're doing in the world. You are transforming people. And thank you for sharing your story today. It's heartbreaking as much as it is beautiful. So um, lots of light and love to you. And thank you so much for today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me today. And I have a couple of small favors to ask. If you love this episode, please share it with someone you love and you know the episode will resonate with. Also, to help spread the word about my podcast, please head over to iTunes and leave me a review. I love hearing your thoughts about my podcast and what's resonating with you. Plus, it helps us share my podcast with the rest of the world, which is amazing. Finally, thank you so much for being here. I'm super grateful for you and I'm truly honored you've spent your time with me. Let's keep rising. Let's keep growing because it's totally possible to live a life you love every day right where you are. See you in the next episode.